0: I want to encourage you to open your heart and open your spirit and let the Lord talk to you today. You know, God is able to touch you with his finger in the place that he knows you need to be touched more than any other. When we open the scripture, we open our heart and just say, Lord, touch me today. You know, preaching is a supernatural event. It really is. Now, I know sometimes I don't do very well, and you're thinking, well, the preacher wasn't very supernatural this morning. I know that. But probably on those low mornings when I'm not on my best game is when God is able to transform my words and touch the hearts of the people. Because it's not about my ability on a particular day, but it's about the anointing of God that carries the message to the hearts of the people. And I can say one thing to you and the same thing to the other person, but by the time it falls into your heart, the Holy Spirit will have conformed it to exactly what you need in that moment to help shape you and to help guide you through life. So if you listen to the Holy Spirit and listen to the words that I say to this, this morning, God will give you courage and faith and give you direction for your life. Are you ready to hear from the Lord? Okay. Thank the Lord. Why don't we read uh, some verses to begin with in 1 Samuel chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 1 and try to get the bulk of the story. I figure if I read it, you'll be reminded of it, and uh, we won't have to go back to it a lot. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no widespread revelation. What a statement about the spiritual climate and culture that young Samuel was born into. The word of the Lord was rare. And there was no widespread revelation. The word of the Lord was not leading and guiding the culture. The word of the Lord was not being honored as the compass, the moral and spiritual compass in the culture. And he said the revelation of God's Word, what God was saying at that moment in time, there was no widespread revelation. The people were not hearing a relevant, pertinent Word from God that was speaking to them in that moment. So the Word of God was rare, and there was no widespread revelation. To some degree, it parallels the day that you and I are living in. If you're in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're in a place where the Rama, preceding word of God is going forth, this probably doesn't apply to you. But if you're not in church and you're not in a church that is delivering a relevant pertinent word, then the word of God is rare to you and there's no revelation of what God is saying and doing in our time and day. As pastors, we have a tremendous responsibility to hear what God is saying and say it to you, to know what God is doing and reveal that Word to the people. You see, from the throne of God and from the mouth of God, there is a, an ever-flowing stream of words and messages, a proceeding word like the current of a river that is forever communicating a life and communicating direction and strength and help to His people. And just like if you have a certain uh, uh, radio transmitter, you are able to pick up sounds out of the atmosphere that our natural ear cannot hear and cause us to hear what's being broadcast. When people, men and women of God, are connected and in tune with the Holy Spirit, they can hear things that God is saying that other people cannot hear. So it's our job to hear what the Spirit is saying and then broadcast that to the people. It's important to be in in an environment where you're hearing The Word of God, and there is indeed a widespread revelation of what God is doing in our day and time. Can you say amen? Amen. And it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down. That the Lord called Samuel and said, and he said, Here am I. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you call me. And he said, I did not call, lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you call me. And he answered, I did not call you, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord revealed to him. Samuel was a very small boy. We think he might have been five, six, seven, eight, somewhere in that range. He was just an adolescent. He was a child. And he did not know the Lord. And the word of the Lord was not revealed to him. In other words, he had not learned to detect and discern the voice of God in his heart. This was his first encounter that allowed him to realize that God had a voice that could speak to man. And he heard that voice in this encounter, but previously he had not heard the word of the Lord in their heart. Do you remember the day when you had never consciously heard the voice of God in your heart? Do you remember a time in your life when the Word of God was not revealed to you that you really did not have the ability to discern the thoughts that come into your mind and to determine which were the thoughts of God and which were not? Do you remember those days? And then there was a time when you had an experience and an encounter with God that helped you to decipher which was the voice of God, which might be other voices that speaking within me. You move from one level to the next when you can suddenly discern the voice of the Lord. And you can say, you know what, I really believe that the Lord communicated something in my spirit and has given me direction, has given me an answer, or has given me encouragement in my heart. You move to a completely different level when you can discern the voice of God in your heart. Now, Samuel was a fine young man birthed by a man and woman of God, loaned to the house of God. He was a gift from God and they gave him to God to serve in the house of God. They forfeited the pride of parents to to the pleasure of raising that son, but because he was given to them by God, they took him to the house of God and they lent him to the house of God that he'd be a servant all the days of his life. So Samuel was a fine young man, but he had never learned to detect the voice of God. One of the responsibilities we have as parents and as grandparents is to help our children to discern the voice of God in their own hearts, yeah. to learn how to segregate the thoughts that are divinely inspired and the thoughts that might be the product of imagination or worse. To teach children to seek God. Every year we lead our grandchildren in a 21-day in a Daniel's fast, and they give up this and that, and, it, and it's, it's a fun time around the house just listening to how their little five-, six-year-old minds interpret a fast, interpret praying and hearing the voice of God. But it is an important process because at that age, children can hear God. And sometimes it's easier to teach a six-year-old to discern the voice of God than a 16-year-old to discern the voice of God. Amen. Verse 8, And the Lord called Samuel again in the third time. So he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, speak Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak Lord, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of every, everyone who hears it will tingle. Drop down to verse 15. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli of the vision. For every believer, there is a unique moment that something happens. That in that moment, God suddenly becomes real. In that moment, something happens that your eyes are open and your heart grasps the reality of God. Prior to that, he could be in the category of a belief system, a story, an idea, a history lesson, a philosophy, or just a religion. But there has to be that moment when it moves from all of those things and God becomes a reality to you. The degree that God is a reality to you and to me determines the level of our faith. The closeness of our walk with God. The effectiveness of our lives. How much of a reality is God to you? It's not just a one-time thing, but it's a lifestyle. Over and over again in our lives, we repeatedly have those moments when the reality of God overwhelms us. And the reality of God over drives out any thought of fear, doubt, unbelief, questions, or or anything that would dilute. When, When the reality of God is so strong that it drives every sense of doubt out of your mind. It's that moment. When God becomes very, very real. The degree that God is real in your heart determines many important things the level of faith you live on, the level of commitment you live on, it determines the closeness of your walk with God, it determines the clarity of your communication, it determines the impact of your personal ministry, it, imp- it, Im- it impacts many, many things. It's all about the reality of God. The people in my life that I have grown up with and been around for some time that, that impress me the most in terms of their walk with God and their relationship with Him, the, the one factor that is absolutely consistent is that is this. To them, God is very real and ever-present. God is very real. He is ever-present. And He's definitely All powerful. And when those things are strong in your heart and mind and you live with those realities, God is big in your life. It makes sin much more difficult and definitely not any fun. It makes doubt much smaller of an enemy. It makes discouragement only able to stay around just a little while. The reality of God is a buoyant force that will carry you beyond your current circumstance and whatever you're dealing with. The reality of God helps keep your mind and your attitude clean and pure. It keeps you walking in a sense of humility rather than pride. It keeps you walking in a dependency on God rather than a dependency on self. It keeps you walking in a state of gratitude and thanksgiving to God as opposed to having an attitude of expectancy from others. Entitlement. I'd like to reinforce the reality of God in your own heart today. And I'd like to stir up the gifts of God in each and every one of you. God became real to Samuel at a very, very young age. Samuel, his wife Hannah, had, his mother Hannah had prayed for him. And God had supernaturally opened her womb when previously she was barren and gave him the son. And as a result, she took him to the house of God and loaned him to the Lord that he would be a servant in the house all the days of his life. And though she knew he was a gift from God and chosen by God... She probably could not have dreamed that the boy she gave birth to would one day be the greatest man of God of that generation. The word of the Lord was rare in those days, but God revealed it to a child. I want to take some time here and talk about parents' responsibility to expose children to the reality of God and help them to learn to hear the voice of God. I want to encourage parents to not think, well, they're just children now. We'll wait till they're older at some magical age of 8, 10, 12, 14, or 16. But realize that the younger you can nurture uh, spirituality in a child, the, the, the greater advantage it will be for them throughout their lives. The more you can keep them in an environment, not all children are going to be dropped off at the house of God to stay, thank God. Uh, But you need to keep them in the house of God and keep them in a place where they are interacting with other people that hear, that have the reality of God and know how to communicate with him. It was in that moment that God spoke to Samuel that suddenly God became real. Maybe as a boy, he didn't understand the lighting of the the lamps, and he didn't understand the showbread, and he didn't understand all the sacrifices, and he didn't understand the labor, and he didn't understand the garments, and he didn't know what all this was about. He's just a little kid, just just living in his own world. And then suddenly, one night, unexpectedly, the God of the universe calls his name. And in that moment, God became real to young Samuel. Samuel. Somewhere when I was age 4 or 5, we were sitting in our little Pentecostal church in the city of needleton on the Boston Avenue. It was just a small church. The whole building would have been smaller than a third of this building. I was sitting on the right by my parents, um, and, and I, I have a picture in my mind of exactly what the building looked like, and I have a picture of, of what we were doing. And it's frozen in my mind. The reason I know I was about four or five years old is because the picture that is associated with what I experienced in God in that moment uh, is an indication of the time frame uh, that this happened in. You see, we had a small building and I had bought it a few years before when I was a very little guy. And my dad and uh, had spent a lot of time as a carpenter craftsman. He would he we built the platform and he built the uh pews and he built the the little uh the thing the organ and piano went behind I don't know what we call those things, and it was all made out of beautiful ash and stained and and I had spent hours playing around the church while Dad had built all of those things. now I remember the pulpit that that was custom made and it had a, a little red a cross in the center and a little red thing right in the middle of the cross and and and, and I remember that picture, and that picture helps it me to establish at what season of my life I was in because previous to those years that it didn't look like that. And then later we changed it again. So I know I was about four or five years old. It's one of the earliest things I remember. And while I'm sitting there and my pastor's behind the pulpit and he's leading a song and the congregation is is worshiping, the Spirit of the Lord came down upon me as a small boy and spoke to me and specifically called my name and called me into the ministry and revealed to me what my life work would be. And from the time that God revealed himself to me in that way as a small boy in our little Pentecostal church, I've never had the slightest doubt, first of all, of God's reality. It has never crossed my mind that God was not real, that the Bible was not the Word of God, that God was not all-powerful, that he didn't know where I was and what I was doing, and that his hand was on my life. You see, it was in that moment that a small boy, God became a reality. And that reality has guided me and carried me this many years. Over 50 years, I've been walking with God because when I was a small boy, one moment changed my life and God became a reality. <clears throat> Thankfully, that was not going to be the last time that I encountered God in that, ki- in that kind of a way. But as I walked with God in, in my, as, as a child... I had encounters with God and unique experiences that you may, have told, you may have heard me talk about before. And each one of these encounters had a way of solidifying and, and concreting the reality of God in my mind. And by the time I was a 15, 16-year-old boy, the reality of God was so strong that it didn't matter what happened in the world. It didn't matter what happened in my life. It didn't matter what other people did. God was as real as my right hand. So there is that moment when God becomes real in your life. And then there are the other moments that continue through life. That continues to galvanize the reality of God. Now this is an important component of your maturity. Important component of your walk with God. God has to be very, very real to you at all times. Thank God for my parents. That kept me in the house of God. I might not have had that encounter if my parents had not had me in church on that day. I wouldn't have had preceding encounters if my family had not built their life around the house of God, the work of God. If my family had not modeled for me, mother and dad, had not modeled for me true Christianity, genuine faith, love for all people, a love for God. If God had not been real in their heart, I don't know if he would be real in mine. So, again, I encourage parents to be real. And if you'll be real, God will be real to your children. So, Samuel was raised as a man of God, and soon he would take the forefront of spiritual leadership in Israel. And sometimes do a character study on Samuel. He's one of the great characters of the Bible. The Bible says that in all the days that he lived, not one word he ever spoke fell to the ground. Now, when it talks about a word that never fell to the ground, he's talking about every prophecy he ever gave came to pass. And everything he ever said was indeed the truth. And uh, every word that he gave was wisdom and reflected the will of God for his generation there's no, another, there isn't another man in Scripture that is said of them like it was said of Samuel. And it's a key because God captured his heart at a very young age. It is an advantage for, you to, for God to capture your children at the youngest age possible. Sometimes parents don't get serious about church and God and Bible and prayer until their kids hit those tumultuous teenage years and the devil's pulling on them and hormones are going bizarre and suddenly they want to get religious. Well, better to get religious too late than not at all. But at the same time, how much better it would have been if when that child was born, they were brought to the altar and dedicated in the house of God and given over to God. And they grow up in the house of God. You know, my family's blessed. My grandchildren are doubly blessed. They start out going to our uh, daycare kids triumph and needling and they stay there for four or five years and then when they get done there they come right over to Vista and they come to this church and they learn and they, they go to school in this place and then on weekends and Wednesday nights they're always here in the house of God you, do, do you realize what an advantage that is yes. it's not a guarantee they're never going to sin or a guarantee they're never going to backslide and get away from God but I'm going to tell you what if they ever sin get away from God they're going to be miserable doing it It ain't going to be a bit of fun. The Word of God is so deep in their heart and the reality of God is so sure. It doesn't matter where they go or what they do. They'll never escape it. And that's our desire. That's why we go to great Links as a congregation to have daycares and to bring this to school in here because we believe that even though it's a public school that's being housed in our building, we believe that just being in the house of God and being in a clean, clear atmosphere and going to the church day after day has a powerful effect on their lives. We pray over our classes in the hallways. And we pray that kids that, whose parents don't live for God, when they drop them off and walk in this building, the reality of God will get a hold of them. That they will have dreams and visions and God will speak to them and call them. And something that happened in this church school will change the rest of their lives. There's a moment when God becomes real. I think about other stories in the Bible when God became real. There was a woman at the well. She just went to get some water. Be the same thing as you loading up and going to to buy groceries at HEB. She went to get some water. And as she's standing there, she supposedly by chance, what seemed to be by chance, she meets this Jewish man. And he says to her, I'd like a drink of water. And she's like shocked. First of all, I'm a woman. You're not supposed to be speaking to me. Secondly, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. We have this huge racial prejudice going on. We don't talk to each other. We don't like each other. Thirdly, I worship in the mountains of Samaria. I have one religion. And you have that old Jewish religion. You all think you're all the only ones saved. And, and I don't even know why you're even talking to me. And Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is asking you for water, you would ask him and he would give you water living water. And she said, oh, really? This well is deep and you don't have a thing to draw it out of. Where are you going to get this water? I mean, she's just a practical heathen. Just a practical heathen. That's it. Practical heathen. And he said, the water I put in you will be a well springing up into everlasting life and you will never thirst again. In that moment, something gripped her heart. In that moment, something awakened in her. And she said, Give me this water that I would never have to thirst again. She spoke to, he spoke to her so deep in her spirit. No one had ever spoken that deeply before. She spoke, he spoke to her in such a way that it awakened a hunger and a desire for God that she thought was long gone and dead in her sin. And in that moment, God became real to her there's so many stories like that throughout your new testament of people that had encounters with God and for the first time God became real There there was a blind man who had been blind all of his life he had never seen the light of day he lived as a beggar because as a blind man there was no way to be productive in life. He could very well have been healthy in every other facet of his being. But he could not see. Therefore he was subject to being a beggar all of his life. But he had heard about Jesus. You know if you're blind and, you, and, and someone else is healed. You're likely to hear about someone else being blind that was healed. And so all of a sudden on one given day the blind man healer was coming by. And the man began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He lost self-respect. He put aside a sense of dignity. He put all that aside in absolute desperation. He saw the moment and the chance of the lifetime coming by him and leaving quickly. And he screamed and cried until he caused such a commotion they couldn't settle him down. And Jesus went over and he healed him of of his blindness. And in a matter of seconds, he could see for the first time in his life. Let me tell you something. Unquestionably, that was the moment God became real to the blind man. Sometimes it's salvation. Sometimes it's a miracle of healing. Sometimes it's an answered prayer. A prayer that is prayed in the private closet of your heart. A prayer that is too personal and sensitive for even you to voice vocally. But something very important that you pray to God. And somehow God orchestrates events and moves circumstances around. Until suddenly you're looking at the answer to your prayer. That no one else knew you had even prayed. And suddenly it's a reality. And in that moment... God becomes real. There were many people in the New Testament who had those kinds of a moment. A woman whose son had died, the only son she had, all she had left in life, but somehow he had taken sick and died. Jesus stopped the funeral procession Walks to the man's casket, commands the man to come back to life. Her dead son stands up and is suddenly presented back to her alive again. I can tell you for that moment, God became very real to her. So right now I want to ask you to stop and think. You look back over your life. What were the moments when God suddenly became very real to you? I'll give you just a minute to think about it. There may be more than one, maybe a lot. What you think about it. Moments in my life when suddenly, God became very real. I believe those moments create a foundation on which our faith stands. I believe those moments empower us to do the will of God. Those moments empower us to resist temptation. Those moments empower us to do the right thing instead of the wrong thing. Those moments empower us to be faithful to God and serve Him and support His kingdom and do the things He's called us to do. Those moments, it's the foundation we're built on. If God wasn't real, I wouldn't do what I'm doing. If God wasn't real, I I wouldn't commit to the things I'm committed to. If God wasn't real, I wouldn't give my tithe to the Lord. If God wasn't real, I wouldn't pray the prayers I pray and preach the message I preach if God wasn't real. But you see, in my history, from the time I was a small boy, I have a collection of moments when God became very real. And I'm standing on that today. And I live the life I live. Conduct a ministry I conduct because I know without any shadow of doubt that God is real. Amen. Dwight Thompson, our friend from Fort Worth, tells the story of his age of his father who's with the Lord now, spent sixty sixty five years preaching the gospel, and he said, on almost every service dwight and his, his younger brother would would sit on the front row and and uh, they, they His dad had what turned out to be somewhat of a comical little personal expression that was repeated over and over and over and over again. But it marked those boys because they said dad would get to preaching in a fiery Pentecostal voice and he would always come to that climatic crescendo and he would raise his right hand with a little shake and a quiver and he would say to the people, God is as real as my right hand. There was a man that had had many moments when God became real. And his only way of communicating the passion and the force of his faith was saying, God is as real as my right hand. I want to ask you today, is God as real as your right hand? Hold your right hand out with me. Look at your right hand. Is God as real as your right hand? I know he is. He's as real as my right hand. He's a father that loves me. He's a father that rebukes me. He's a Father that provides for me. He's a Father that chastises me. He is a Father that guides me. He's a Father that that rebukes me. He is a Father that instructs me. He is a Father that trains and mentors me. He is a Father that empowers me. He is a Father that gives me assignments. He is a Father that authorizes me. And God is as real as my right hand. The times we live in demand a strong sense of God's reality. The culture has diluted the right reality of God. Christianity as a whole has been categorized with other religions that are indeed false and have no sense of reality. The culture has become very, very diverse. In our sincere effort to, ref- to recognize and respect the faith systems of all men, to promote freedom of religion, the idea that men should have a choice whether to worship God or not and choose what religion that they serve, in all of that environment that has uh, golden truths in it, the fact is we have diluted the reality of God in this pluralistic and very diverse society. This culture does what's right in its own eyes. When there's no one to answer to, And there's no one to be accountable to. A culture does what's right in their own eyes. And we are rewriting the laws of righteousness and wickedness. The Ten Commandments are old, ancient, and irrelevant in American culture today. Hollywood is telling us what's right, wrong, sin, and not sin. And we as a culture have bought into it hook, line, sink, and all. Ladies and gentlemen, your faith is going to cost you ever more in the future. To be a Christian is not going to be as popular and as favorable in the past. Your resume is not going to look as good when you say, I'm a member of so-and-so church and I'm a child of God, I'm a Christian. The fact that you take a strong moral stand on the Scripture and you interpret events around you through the lens of the Word of God You have a biblical worldview, may not get you a raise, it couldn't get you fired. You may not get hired, you may not, you may get overlooked. I'm just telling you, your faith is going to cost you more in the future than it's ever cost you before. I'd be a lot happier to preach a very different context of message for our future, but I can tell you, I have to say what I know God is saying. Your faith is going to cost you more than ever before. In the last year, we have seen Christian brothers and sisters in the Middle East chased from their homes, ravaged and raped and enslaved, murdered in every cruel and inhumane fashion man can devise. Just recently, we watched 21 Egyptian Christian men paraded in front of the world by video and beheaded simply because they were Christians. Make no mistake about it, we are at war with radical Islam. They are at war with us. And it isn't just America and the Western way of life and the idea of democracy, but they are at war with the Christian church. We are their arch enemy and they have sworn to destroy us. America stands for human rights. And all over the world we have defended the defenseless. We have defended every ethnicity and every nationality. We've sent our money, our men, and we've sent our weaponry all over the world to protect people and to help people because we believe that every single human life is important and no human life has greater value than the other. We have, dis- we have disregarded their ethnicity, their nationality. We've disregarded their sexual orientation. We have disregarded their religion, whether it be atheist or, or Muslim or Buddhist or Christianity. And we, for years, have gone to defend the defenseless. That's who America is. We certainly need to be Christian. We need to be defending Christians around the world. The fact is, there were more people killed for their faith in Christ in the 20th century that just passed than the other 19 centuries preceding. If you've ever studied the early history of the church, then you would know that hundreds and hundreds of people were martyred for their faith. But in the 20th century, more human beings lost their life for their faith in Christ than any other single century uh, in our history. You might need to know that as this 21st century begins to unfold, That we are set to exceed the 20th century in terms of martyrdom. Hundreds and hundreds of people, month after month, are being killed for their faith. I don't know what their denominations are. I don't know what their doctrines are. I don't know exactly what they believe about this, that, and the other. I'm not sure they'd ever want me to preach in their pulpit, and I doubt I'd ever want to join their church. But they're followers of Jesus Christ. They're trusting in Him as the exclusive Savior of the world. They're my brothers and sisters, and all the other stuff really don't matter. You know, when they're cutting people's heads off, It has a way of bringing it down to the basics, and the basics is, do they believe Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and are they trusting Him for their salvation? And if they are, they're our brothers and sisters. The church's role is to pray for them and support them in every way that we can, and to defend our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. The government's role is to defend them militarily and to protect them. You know, our country has been in a mindset that we've been through 12 years or more of war since 2001. We don't want to send our men and women overseas. We don't want to spend our money overseas. We kind of have the idea, let them settle their own problems. But in this cycle of events that we've seen out, played out over and over again, there comes a time when we cannot sit back and fold our hands and let innocent people be slaughtered. The government has to stand up. And our government cannot do that as long as the population is uh, reticent about it. As long as the population is not willing to stand up and and to to defend the weak and the defenseless, then the government is somewhat, uh, their hands are tied. We need to untie the hands of our government and we need to tell them to go to wherever we need to go and let's send our men, let's send our money, and let's do whatever it takes to make certain that innocent people aren't being slaughtered. It's not just a threat overseas, it's a threat here. And it's very much time that this country do what we've always done and stand for what we have always stood for. But the people of God, have the people as a whole, have got to be in the same frame of mind. No one wants another long war. No one wants to lose any more life. No one wants to spend the money we need desperately here somewhere else. But at the same time, if we're going to be the leader of the free world, and we are, and if we're going to be the dominant nation, we have a responsibility that maybe other nations do not have. And I pray that one more time in my life, I'll see our nation stand up and do the right thing around the world to help people that are being chased from their homes, their lands are being taken. One more time, let America stand up and be America. And I hope you're with me on that here today. The fact is, if you were a radical Islamic terrorist, Allah is very, very real. Very real. At least our God needs to be as real to us as their false God is to them. I mean, uh, we're just asking you to pay tithes, serve as an usher or work in the children's ministry. They're strapping bombs on When they go somewhere to to, uh, attack, they don't go there to survive. They go there to die. And they don't just give their own lives. They give the lives of their little children. I'm going to tell you, Allah is very real to them very real. And I think in some cases, in their hearts, their God is more real than our God is in us. Something not right about that. They serve a false God. We serve the only true and living God. Amen. The blood of the martyrs is a seed of the church, Tertullian said in one ninety seven A.D. Everywhere a believer in Christ loses his life because of his faith not because of ethnic cleansing or civil war but because of his faith in Christ everywhere that drop of blood hits the sand it's marked for the kingdom of God and that drop of blood becomes a seed from which new believers new Christians are born we have 2,000 years of history to prove that and uh, these people that have lost their life lost their family God loves them. He's watching out for them. And those that lose their life is going to result in souls saved. churches built. I hope someday that I get to go to the places where these atrocities are taking place and be a part of building a church to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope I can be a part of that. Because I know that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And everywhere that the lives are taken... The church will someday flourish and grow. I believe this with all of my heart. How many of you want to be a Navy SEAL for Christ? I've been saying for years, I I don't want to train a bunch of Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts selling cookies. We need Navy SEALs today, guys. We need men and women of God that are real deal. Courageous. Gifts fully developed faith strong, commitment deep, ready to lay down their lives for the things of God, understanding our great commission to preach the gospel around the world. The church isn't called to marshal armies. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to love and preach and help and serve. That's our role. Governments have to marshal armies. That's their role. That's their God-ordained role. We pray, we love, we share, we serve. That's what the church is supposed to do. And we've got to be Navy SEALs. In doing that. And I pray that today the reality of God will be stronger in your heart than it ever has been before. Let's stand together. Pastor Ren is going to come in just a moment and give you a time of ministry, but I want to pray over you before I go. We are arrested by your presence. We're encompassed by the spotlight that you have placed on us today. Father, your reality is magnified in our hearts. We honor you and we humble ourselves before you. I pray a blessing on the people of God as one person here that has never heard your voice or met you face to face I pray Lord Jesus that this would be their day and their moment if others have but have wandered from those moments of reality I pray Lord that today the finger of God would touch them in their hearts I pray that courage would overcome discouragement hope would overcome fear Faith would overcome doubt. Life would overcome death. Wisdom would overcome ignorance. Discernment would overcome stupidity. God, let us breathe your air. Fill us with your spirit. Let us see through your eyes and hear with your ears. Let there be a widespread revelation in our day. Let the Word of God be revealed to us. I speak a blessing on the people of God. I ask you to reveal yourself to them in Jesus' name.